Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Well, it is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of their favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom they have to offer. Today, I sit down with Shohana Sharman and we drink some red striped Jamaican beer. Shohana is an alumni of the Buddies in Bad Times Theater's Emerging Creators Unit and was a recipient of their 2020 Queer Emerging Artists Award. She is also an alumni of the Second City's Improv and Longform Conservatories and a former featured player at the Bad Dog Comedy Theater. She is a producer, writer, and performer behind the dark sketch comedy review Dead Parent Society, which won the Audience Choice Award at the 2020 Toronto Sketch Comedy Festival. Her podcast, Finders Grievers, a happy-ish podcast about sad things, is an incredibly intimate and entertaining podcast on grief and is available on the Sonar Network. So Shohana is a writer, a comedian, and someone I admire immensely. Hi, Shahana. Hello. <laughs> Hi. How's it going? So good. I actually just noticed that you're wearing red. Is that for your drink today? I mean, you know what? We're going to say it is. <laughs> it is now. Uh, it's here. The universe has gifted us this. So, yes, it was 100% on purpose. Um, not at all a coincidence. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I think you just became the sponsor for Red Stripe Jamaican Beer. <laughs> Honestly, uh, would love it. Would love it. I've never had this beer in my life. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, there's a long story behind it that I'm yes. gonna try not to get too into. But <laughs> I first tried this beer in 2017. It mm-hmm. was um, I think it was the summer of 2017. Yes, I was in Detroit for the Detroit Improv Festival, and I got invited to like this pool party of one of the organizers. It oh was very God. like Fun. it was like people knew people, and I just kind of like dragged along. And we went to this party. Uh, it was like a backyard, like a, an above ground pool. It was very just like, you know, casual friends, barbecue, all of that. And um, I was in the pool with a bunch of uh, the performers, the improv comedians that I had gone to Detroit with and some from other troops, et cetera, and just meeting all these people. And someone brought this beer and I was like, oh, that's such an interesting looking bottle. I really like it. It's so I like cute. The, it's just very cute. So yeah. I picked it only because it looked good. And then I started drinking it and I was like, I love this. And it, I I was like, but it was this weird thing where I was like, am I enjoying this because I like this taste of this beer? Or am I enjoying this because it feels really nice to like be in this place in my life in the world right now? You know what I mean? Mm. It was one of those like perfect, like perfect Detroit summer days. Like it, I think it was like August. It was like 25 degrees, sunny, in the pool with a bunch of funny people laughing. I was just like, this is this is maybe the happiest day I've had in a while. <laughs> and I just drank this beer and it's been it's been my favorite ever since. It's so hard to find. So I don't know if you had a hard time finding it. It is very hard to go to like is three very different hard to, find. to find it. Oh yes. I have been looking for a couple weeks. I did just buy like a whole six pack. I mean, Me too. I, I act like I bought a whole six pack. I mean, what else do you do? But I, I was like, I almost bought a couple because I thought, I don't know if I'm ever going to find this again. It's very hard to find. It's really hard to find. I went to LCBO's website and had to look up different That's locations. What I, yeah, I wanted my postal code. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, what stores are going to have this? Like, what is going on here? Yeah. It's it's so surprising to me because it, I feel like it's such a good beer. And 
to like in the past four years, I think I've seen it on one restaurant menu. And it was a place on Queen West. I can't remember the name. It was just like mm. a bar. And they had red stripe. And I was like, you guys have this? Like, I'm so excited. Because it's so hard to find. And I don't know why. It's so good. The emotional association is so interesting like that. It was just such a lovely time. And you were choosing like a cute bottle and all these things. Like, I wonder if you would have ordered it just randomly on like a really bad date or like or something and if it would still taste this you should just have it at a bunch of shitty situations and then see if it prevails i mean just i don't know carry yeah. a case with me yeah like, all times yeah, anytime yeah. i get mad at someone on the ttc just crack one open yeah you're like all right it's a part of the experiment here i think you're a fucking <laughs> douchebag let's drink this now and just see if i still love it I've thought a lot about that emotional aspect because mm. I think um, this happened in summer of 2017 when I was going through kind of a difficult time in my life. My mm -hmm. mom had just passed away a couple months before, so I was like really not myself mm -hmm. <laughs> if I think back to it, but I was trying to kind of get through a lot of the difficult stuff by just going out as much as I could. Like mm. I think the year my mom passed away, I partied harder than ever in my life before um and I was just constantly doing things out of the house like I just wanted distractions all the time and so this trip to Detroit it happened so quickly like I think we I think I literally agreed to it like maybe a week before I was like yeah sure I'll drive to Detroit and it was like we drove uh you know drove out we stayed there for I think a couple of days and then drove back in like just very rushed like mm -hmm. really not a whole lot of planning at least from my perspective but I remember just having so much fun that weekend like just being with friends and mm. I think for me a big part of um socializing in comedy circles like I've always struggled with this thing of feeling like I belong even when I'm hanging out with people, there's like, yeah, we're good, right? Everything's great. But there's a part of me that's always like, should I be here? Do they want me here? Like, I don't Ugh. think they want me here. Yeah. Um, it's something that's just persisted my entire life, really, because of uh, my history, kind of. But yeah, I remember like this. I think the reason I have so many positive associations with this drink is like, it was one of the very few times where I just was like, in the situation where I wasn't asking myself if I belong. I was just like, this wow. is just nice. I'm just going to enjoy it. So it was really like, it. <laughs> I'm not realizing maybe I don't like the taste that much because it's so much <laughs> of it is just like a really good day that I'm trying to stretch out over five years. Yeah, yeah. You're just yeah. chasing the high, like that original yeah. hit of just like, yeah. I felt like I belonged that day when I drank this beer. So I hope. God, I relate to so much of what you talk, what, what I caught myself in therapy like, last year or something saying like I just want to be a part of the comedy community in Toronto and then my therapist like asked me like to clarify like very nicely but just asked me to clarify like so don't aren't you in it and I'm like well yeah I guess I've tried I guess I've been performing in it for seven years but I don't belong in it you know and she was like what does that yeah. mean I'm like I have no fucking idea I don't know like what do you think is that measure of like this person like then you would belong if if you had this or if you did this yeah it's uh, man I struggle with it so much too and mm. I feel like I've had that exact same conversation with my therapist too <laughs> I think it's for me it's twofold it's I've always sort of felt like an outsider in the comedy community and I think I've really put it all on myself. No one has mm -hmm. ever said these things to me. But I have this thing in my head of like, I started comedy a bit later than most people mm -hmm. in the community. Like most 
I, I don't know if I if we can really make this generalization, but I started comedy when I was 25, mm-hmm. which is like a little bit later than mm-hmm. than some. Um, and I also don't have any like comedy or performance background. Like I didn't go to school for theater. I didn't do, you know, the Humber writing program or whatever mm-hmm. there is. Like I don't have any sort of educational credits to show for it. So there is a big part of like... Uh, I just showed up to an improv class one day, things went well, and I've just been running with it ever since. <laughs> but every once in a while, I'm like, I'm going to get caught out and everyone's going to know that I suck oh. and that I don't have anything to show for. And like, like, there's just all this negative self-talk of like, you don't, you're not really a comedian because you didn't struggle in the way that stand-up comics did. And like, all of that narrative. Yeah. And then, so like... Often I just felt myself feeling like an, like an outsider. Like I didn't have the same reference points a lot of people do. I have a day job. I, you know, my sort of um, point of reference and jokes are very different than someone who's never worked in an office. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it just always felt like I was a little bit of an outsider. And even just the fact of having a day job, there's this sense of like, oh, but you're not like fully in comedy, right? Because you like have a day job. That's mm. like your main thing. Because it's a fair point, like, my day job does take up a lot of my time, but whatever time I have left over is going to comedy. So it's like, I don't know, there was always just this thing of, like, you don't really belong here. Mm-hmm. And so many uh, comedians, like, comedy just has this, like, high school click feeling sometimes where it's, like, all the cool kids are hanging out and then you're just kind of trying to, like, be nice to everyone and navigate. I feel like that was my role in high school, too, where I was just, like, the person that was nice to everyone and kind of got along with everyone but like I wasn't like the cool kids um and that click feeling has very much I've seen it in comedy I don't know about others but I've definitely experienced it personally so I just kind of like have always felt a little bit like "Mm, it's weird and then I think the other reason that I often feel like oh but am I really a comedian Mm. is this whole thing of staying relevant oh I'm exhausted (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. Oh my God, I'm so tired. And I'm not even performing right now. Like I'm not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's this thing of like, if you're not doing, you are stagnant and Mm -hmm. you are failing and you Mm -hmm. are not enough. And you're, it's just like every hour that you're not doing something, you're falling more and more behind. Mm -hmm. And that is like, that's a hard, hard feeling because it makes you like, I've had so many conversations in therapy recently where I'm like, why do I feel like I can't rest? Like, mm-hmm. I can't sit down on my couch at the end of a long work day because the only th- noise going through my brain is, you should be writing, you should be trying to get on shows, you should be, mm-hmm. like, making connections so that you can, like, have, blah, 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 like, oh, all these things. It's all the shoulds, eh? It's never, yeah. like, and it really is, like, the the word choice you used of, like, every hour you're not performing it really is like an hour by hour minute by minute thing of you I remember before pandemic I could do a show and go home after a show and go on Instagram and see that someone did like is still doing a show or did two or hung out afterwards and being like wow you know all it took was an hour after my show where I'm no longer a legitimate performer even though I performed an hour ago and that like go 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 kind of whether it's hustle culture whether it's all these things like these basically this like invisible impossible race I'm Mm -hmm. realizing especially during the pandemic 
the motivations for me are very like fear-based and like insecurity where I'm basically afraid that if I don't do something, then I missed out on an opportunity that then later will result in me like not being happy. Cause like, oh, well, if I would have done that show, then I would have met that person or I would have hung out with that person and they would have asked me to be on their show. And then I'd have a friend or then I'd have a job or then I'd have, it's all these like, don't miss out, don't miss out. What is is the like fear fuel for you? Or what is that like motivation for you to like, go, 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 go do all the time? Oh, everything you're saying, I relate to so much. I think my entire relationship with productivity is Mm -hmm. based around fear is something I've come to realize, which is really unfortunate. Um, Mm -hmm. I think so much of like the, my job or like the work that I do, whether it's my day job or my night job, it's like at the center of my life. Mm -hmm. Like I really take my work really seriously. I'm like a very, I've just always been like, I care about what I do. Mm. But what I've come to realize is that the relationship, like the amount of pressure that I've put on, like having this be the center of my life, not letting anything distract me, like really my work is who I am, has created this negative association in my brain where it's like if I'm not working Mm -hmm. I am a bad person if I'm not working I'm not who I'm supposed to be Mm -hmm. so like again talking about you know I need to be productive otherwise I will fall into you know some life that I don't want I Mm -hmm. and that that fear of like I'm always I'm not it feels sometimes like I'm more running away from something rather than I'm running towards something. Yes, absolutely. And that, I feel like I felt very lost in comedy for a while um, because I started as an improviser and I did improv and I loved it. It was fun. Um, And then I kind of got into sketch comedy and that was like really, uh, really sparked something in me and I loved Mm it. But for a while, I kind of was struggling to find the joy in both of those things Mm. and I realized it's because I wasn't necessarily wanting to like run towards something great I was just running away from being irrelevant and being a failure so being irrelevant being like I was any show that I got asked on I would automatically say yes whether Mm. I wanted to do it or not whether it interested me or not whether it was like I had a eight-hour workday and then I had slept four hours the night before like I was running on empty but anytime someone said yes uh, someone asked me I was like yes absolutely I owe you this I really felt like I owed people my productivity um and then it just it was all just fear-based it was the fear of you know being irrelevant if I'm not on a show on a Tuesday night well XYZ is doing three shows tonight. What are you up to? Okay, if you're not on the show tonight, can you at least like write something that you can use in the show next week? There was always just like, you can't stop. Because Mm -hmm. if you stop, the moment you stop, you become irrelevant. And if you're irrelevant, like if you're on the bottom of the algorithm, like you're not going to, it's going to be really hard to find your way back up. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it just, it was completely fear-based. And I think the pandemic for all the negatives of it, yeah. like yeah. it really made me examine my relationship with work and with productivity mm. and with rest. Because before the pandemic, I was running at 150% at mm-hmm. all times. I was working during the day. I'd work nine to five, finish at five, be at a rehearsal at six, 
rehearse from six to nine or do shows or whatever. You know, usually it was like rehearsal from six to nine, then do a show at nine thirty, get home at eleven thirty midnight, go to sleep, wake up at six thirty the next morning, start all over again. Like it was this bananas hamster wheel that I just <laughs> was in for five years, no mm. questions asked. And then the pandemic hit and it just all shut down in a way where I just was like, oh, my God, I have nothing else in my life. Like, <laughs> not that's not actually true. Like, I have family, I have friends, all of that. Mm-hmm. But it really, like, at first it just felt like my life is empty mm-hmm. without comedy. Like, I didn't know who I was without this thing to push me to, like, just constantly produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was really tough and it's still tough sometimes like I mean we're coming up to what like it's gonna be two years soon of this thing oh my god it's so wild yeah I know it's nuts yeah (laughs) but I still have days where I'm like I don't know what I'm doing I Mm -hmm. really truly don't know what I'm doing the one thing I know I'm doing is that I have started to say no to things that I feel like are not I don't even know if it's like are not serving me but it's like things that don't pull me in I don't go for anymore Mm -hmm. because I'm just like thank you so much for asking I I don't think I'm the right fit for this because of where I'm at mentally Mm -hmm. but you know please ask again in the future and maybe that will change like (laughs) it's just I've started saying no to things because I'm just like I can't I wasn't having fun Mm -hmm. just running all the time it made Mm -hmm. the thing I love doing so much you know writing and performing not fun it just made it a chore it made it something that was hurting me really mm-hmm. it made it productivity and I don't want my creativity <laughs> yeah. to be productivity like yeah. I mean obviously there's going to be some overlap but I don't want it the full overlap yeah well then you just lose you lose all of the reason that you love it in the first place and it also sets you up automatically to fail because if you're always I can relate to that so much when you said like I spent all my time basically running from what I didn't want and not really running towards what I want. It, it makes it so the the present life that you're living is never enjoyable because it's always just running away. It's never. And if that's going to be the I mean, maybe this sounds like kind of like, you know, philosophical meta, whatever, if I'm getting into it. But really, it's like if I'm always just spending my time running away from something. I'm never arriving anywhere. Like, and that's totally how I felt. I'm never arriving at a place. Like, what the fuck is the point? What's the finish line? If it's just about running the race and I'm never, Mm -hmm. if there's no actual finish line, then it's like, well, maybe I should run from what I'm doing right now. Like, I don't like (laughs) this. I've also been saying no. And it's so funny that you're, you're like, I'll say no, but please ask me again in the future because it's like that fear that if you say no, then they're never gonna ask you again. And it's so interesting. Lately, I've been turning down some opportunities and I like you know you have all the voices like who the fuck are you to do that or like just or what I do is I just go into saying yes to all of them but then I just realize like I'm not happy I I eventually it's inevitable that I will fall apart and feel so overwhelmed or I'll sacrifice things that I'm just not willing to sacrifice anymore like mental health physical Mm -hmm. health like things and I just find like the things I turn down in a couple months, I get asked again or like and it doesn't even have to be a show. It can be life like, pe- you know, and yeah, but but um, I can totally relate to that idea that like my life, it's like my life minute to minute is not worth living. If that minute isn't productive, then like, what's the point? But like, yeah. what the hell? And then I I have a friend who's so good at 
this sounds so stupid, but I have a friend who's so good at living life. Like she's just very good at like, no, I'm done work now. And now, and she loves her job and she loves what she does. She's just so good at enjoying her off work time as Mm -hmm. life. Like let's watch a show or she's just going to go to this event or she's just going to sit at home and do nothing. And she has no questioning like, is me taking this evening for myself going to make it so I don't achieve my goals in the next 10 years? Like that's where I'm at. If I watch this show right now, is it going to make it so I am not on a TV show that I want to be on or whatever? Like it's so ridiculous, the connections that you can kind of make, make from it. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear that the pandemic has like shifted it a little bit for us. It sounds like, I mean, but it's, it's so like, it's so hard. I want to just, I find myself having to justify relaxing and now I do it. And I just argue myself in my head. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to play like Nintendo switch for an hour right now. And I don't, it's like a teenager talking to myself. Like, I don't care if you like it or not. I'm doing it because I need it right now, but it's so hard. It's so freaking hard to do. It's really hard. And it's so, it's such a weird um, thing that's been happening for me recently, recently being like the last year and a half (laughs) uh, that I, So again, before the pandemic, my social circle was pretty much entirely comedians. Mm -hmm. And then this thing hit and I couldn't see them all the time. And like some people I'm still in touch with, but others it's like, you know, not as regular. Like there were people from my troupe that I was seeing, if not every, like sometimes multiple times a week. Mm -hmm. And then I like now talk to them once a week, like once every couple of weeks. So what ended up happening is like I actually grew closer to some of my friends who are just doing their day jobs and just seeing their lives is so fascinating (laughs) for me. Yeah. I found this before the pandemic too is like I used to go into the office every day and I would have coworkers who would like leave work and just go home. Like you're like, that. you're like, what do you mean you're going home? Literally, like the next morning, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I watched this new show last night. And I was they're like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And I was like, you just went home and watched TV. Like, that's all you did. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a judgment thing. I just was like, that's fascinating because I never had that. Yeah. Because I started doing comedy before I started my day job. So like when I started my day job, I already had this full-time thing at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so my experience of having a day job has always been like, you put in your eight hours here, you get the hell out, and then you go do the like the fun things that you want to do. Yeah. And so like so many of them were just like, yeah, I'm just going to go home and have a drink with my partner and hang out. And I just was like, that sounds so nice but I also know that if I were doing that I would be Mm -hmm. like missing out on so many things so I could never yeah and then the pandemic happened and all of a sudden like I was stuck here and not just like you know not just ending your day and going home but like ending your day and just being home like literally two feet away and do you live alone as well yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I live alone so it was just like a complete 180 and in a weird way, I found it really comforting to talk to other people who had sort of the same routine mm-hmm. because we were all just like, you know, finishing our days and then kind of just moving to our couch and being <laughs> like, all right, now tur- what? Yeah, turning your chair and you're like, all right, yeah. I guess I'll turn on the TV. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's strange because like I kind of learned how to rest from them because mm. What they do after a long day of work is exactly that. They turn on the TV. They Mm -hmm. maybe make a fresh dinner instead of eating meal prep all week like I was doing. 
and they just have a nice evening with yeah. you know with tv with their loved ones whatever and i just that was so foreign to me mm-hmm. that it really like it took a long time to adjust to and i'm like now i'm better at doing it like you know just kind of turning off after work and giving myself a couple hours of just rest Mm -hmm. but there are still nights when it feels so foreign because it's like well I could be sitting on my couch and you know scrolling on Instagram or playing a game or whatever or I could write my great (laughs) masterpiece yeah exactly I know like I know when is that gonna happen Uh, it's not gonna happen unless it's not gonna happen if you if you watch this show right now or, or watch this movie it's funny, like, it's not even when I would hear, yeah, like, you know, oh, I go home and then watch, you know, make some dinner with my partner, watch some TV. I would think, like, it also felt foreign to me. And I always thought, like, exactly what you said. It's not a judgment thing. It's like I felt envious of their ability to relax in their present moment and feel no guilt or no anxiety around should they be doing something else. I was so envious of that ability because I was like, I know if I would be home. Like, I was jealous of it. I'm like, I know if I would be at home right now, I would think that I should be at a show. And if I was at a show, I would feel like, okay, cool, I'm putting in my time. But as soon as I get home, like, the high's over. Then I already feel like I should be doing something else. It's not sustainable. And so often I would be at shows thinking, like, I'd rather be at home right now. Like, that (laughs) is a thought I had so often. (laughs) I've done some shows where I've been like, yeah, I would would rather be on my couch right now. This is not, this is not it. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like I was I just felt like I was obliged to say yes to everything, to mm-hmm. every single opportunity that came my way. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, if you don't take this, then like who knows what the butterfly effect will be. Yes. In a weird yeah. way, there was like this it was like I was playing a choose your own adventure game, but it was like I was always ending up with the worst option. It's <laughs> just oh, like fuck. That's so yeah, yeah. It was really, it was really bad where I was like, Uh, if I don't do this, I will end up in the best. So it was always just like, I don't know, just really, really not good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's ironic about all of it that I find is like then during the pandemic when I was like, and even, I mean, even during the pandemic, then I had all the hours in the world and I still would somehow find a way. I think I've said this on the sh- on the podcast before, but like I remember a time during the pandemic crying to my partner and being like, there's just not enough hours in the day. And they were like, my love, like you're doing this to yourself. I literally would write out my agenda. I would fill eight hours of work every day. Like what what am I doing? And mm-hmm. so I knew it was like a mental shift in myself because it, it, I just knew I could have nothing on my plate or a million things and I'll feel the same. Like this is a mm-hmm. my, this is a me thing, which is also empowering because then I can change it. But the ironic thing was like, so I kind of like rebelliously one day was like, this afternoon, I'm just going to play video games. Like that's all I'm fucking doing. And it's not productive and it's not any of it. And then do you know what fucking happened? That just, uh, I was like universe or whatever anybody believes in, my God, not literal God, but my God, the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> like playing the video game, and a fucking creative idea popped in my head, like something funny that I was like, I could say this, I could, this could be in a stand-up, or this could be a sketch right now. Or, and I was like, God damn it, is this what happens? Are you supposed to just live your life and be good to yourself? And then that's how you see the world funny through your lens? Oh my God, unique idea that this is happening. Yeah. But it's just like, that's when good shit happens, not when we're running the race and we're not present enough to observe the world through our own eyes and filter yeah. it through our senses of humor. Like that 
it can't happen if we're running around all the time not paying attention to anything absolutely yeah I mean I I've always said like a lot of my uh like I have a different point of reference for some of my uh comedic work than most in that like a large part of my day is spent sitting at a desk and so I bring I don't know I just feel like there's um I write a different kind of comedy than most I think I think also like as I mentioned before I've struggled with this idea of belonging for a long time Mm -hmm. um and it's not just in comedy but it's like I um, I moved away from Bangladesh when I was really young. Like, my family moved away, and then we moved to a lot of different places. I lived all over the map before coming to Canada at 17. And so I've always had this thing of, like, I'm at a new place. I don't belong. Mm. How do I fit in? So I think, like, all of I bring all of that into my comedic work, and it's sometimes, it, like, it, it's like I like the sort of dark the darkness that comes with it and how to make it funny like that's mm-hmm. what I enjoy but I've realized like the best comedic work I've done has actually come from my personal life and not from you know a class or a workshop or whatever it is mm-hmm. I found that like when I bring my actual self into my work that's when I make some of my best work and that's when I feel the most fulfilled that's when I'm like oh this is like this is why I wanted to do this. This is why mm-hmm. this is fun. This is why it like it recharges me mm-hmm. versus like, all right, another improv show tonight. Like, let's go do 15 minutes and hope something comes out of it. And I think mm-hmm. I don't ever want to put down improv. I love improv. But part of the reason I really struggled with improv um, and stopped doing it after a while is because improv only exists in the moment in that room. You mm-hmm. can't hold on to it. So... You'd go out to comedy bar, you'd do a hit show, hot set, whatever it is, you get off stage. By the time you come home, that like high has already worn off and you're already thinking like, okay, well, what's next? <laughs> and I really struggled with that because I was like, I've moved to so many places in my life and I've always like met new people, made memories, and then had to move. And I've always mm-hmm. felt like I couldn't hold on to people and I couldn't hold on to things. So now oh, that Shahani I'm... just gave me chills. <laughs> sorry, I don't want to... No, no, I'm sorry. To... It was such a... It's such a wonderful gift. Okay, I'm sorry. Interrupted. I shouldn't even have shared that. Or not, I shouldn't have. I wanted to, and it was lovely. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a really weird thing that, like, I've just always felt like I can't hold on to the good things. And so, for me, improv just, like, kind of heightened that in a way of, like, I was doing these shows. I was putting in so much work but it kind of felt like it didn't matter the next day because no one's going to come up to you the next day being like, hey, good scene, good push-pull last night, like or whatever it was. So it was really, it was really, really hard. And so that's why I had to take a bit of a break from improv to be like, okay, I can't tie this to productivity or work because my productivity thing is like always like I'm trying to get to 100% battery charged Mm. and if I'm doing a show if I'm on stage I'm getting that battery up to 100% but by the time I get home it gets to a zero and then I have Mm -hmm. to start all over again the next day so that's why I moved more towards like written work where it's like sketch comedy you know narrative kind of things that are a little bit more tangible so Mm -hmm. I find like writing really helps me feel like okay I can hold on to this like I have a script I have an idea that I can put on paper and can move with so Mm -hmm. I think yeah, a lot of that um, belonging slash 
like holding on to things has also played into my 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 work as an as an artist mm-hmm Oh my God, that was fucking beautifully said, Johanna. I'm like, did you write that? That was so well said. I know you did not. I'm saying that was just so well said. Um, okay, well, speaking of your work, let's talk about some of your work. Also, I feel like I need to say, because I drank it while you were talking, I was just like, oh yeah, I want to drink. The beer's great. It's really good, right? Yes. You know what is strange? So it, it gave me a, like when I had the first sip, it was nostalgic. And in my head, I was like, I wasn't there with Shohana. Like, is it because she told me a story, a bad story? But also, it reminds me of, like, the first sips of beer I had, like, in high school, where, like, it tastes like how beer should taste. Yeah. I don't know if that may- – maybe that should be their slogan. But it just tastes like <laughs> when you picture beer, you're like, yeah, that's what beer tastes like, is this. Yeah. It's yeah. – I, I mean, good. I will be the first one to say I'm not usually a huge beer person. I mm-hmm. usually drink wine, but this is my favorite drink because it's the only beer that I feel like I can drink and be like – it's – I know it's good. It's And it's, it's so smooth beer. and it's yeah. so – like it's almost sweet. There is a little bit of nostalgia. It reminds me of PBR a little bit, but better. Also, it reminds me when you were a kid – I think we were born the same year actually. When you were growing up – and mm-hmm. I totally – I totally realized that you were also like – I was born in Bangladesh and I moved all the way over here and I'm like, I was born in Toronto. I'm about to just assume that we fucking have the same products. <laughs> Idiot of me. Did you ever see those little, um, they were like little pop bottles, like soda bottles. What were they called? Um, chubby? Chubs? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, I think just the bottle shape kind of reminds yeah. me of, I don't think I was ever allowed to drink chubbies or chubs, but I always <laughs> I thought I like the kids either. at school, I was like, <gasps> have a chubby in their lunchbox and had like a little chubby kid a cute little kid on the front of it I think I don't think I've ever had it I don't know if I've ever officially had one I think they had like I remember an orange and a purple and like a pink one and uh, yeah I think my mom was just like no we're not buying those chubby chubbies (laughs) it's not happening I uh yeah (laughs) I do love this bottle I'm probably gonna like take off this uh label and then put some plants in it because it's just it's so that's what I was thinking some little flowers or something no I like it too now I'm glad that I bought a six pack is this an (laughs) advertisement for red stripe maybe are they sponsoring us not yet but I really want them to red stripe (laughs) reach out to Shahana hey have you heard the liquid courage podcast is now on patreon Patreon is a subscription-based platform that allows you to support your favorite artists while receiving fun, exclusive perks for doing so. Head over to liquidcourage.com to find out more, or go directly to the podcast Patreon page at patreon.com slash liquidcouragepodcast. See you there. Okay, let's talk about some of your work. It's, It's funny that you talk about like you know, thinking about, oh, these people are doing so much or like, I don't know if I belong because look at these comedians doing this. I'm like, wow, you are totally one of those people for me. I'm like, look how much she's fucking doing. She's like in the scene. She's doing all these things. I'm a fucking imposter. So it's just, it's so funny because we're all going to have those people and we're all going to be people, those people to somebody, you know, it's just, that's what happens. But um, one of your creative endeavors is your podcast finders grievers which I would love to chat with you about which probably I feel like I did a lot of research for this and I'm like oh she gets asked about this all the time it is such a fabulous podcast Johanna like it's so good I love also like you say it's a happy-ish podcast about sad things I would love if you're not too sick of sick of saying this yet (laughs) um could you tell people what your podcast is about 
Yeah, for the of premise? course. Okay, um, great. Thank you, first of all. Um, so my podcast is called Finders Grievers, and as you said, it's a happy-ish podcast about sad things. Um, so in Finders Grievers, I uh, speak to people who have lost a loved one, aka grievers, and we talk about our experiences of grief. So, mm. you know, loss is difficult, but it's universal. We all experience it at some point or another, but I have always felt like there isn't enough room in our culture, society, whatever you want to call it, to hold loss in a mm. really meaningful way. I think often for grief, we just have sort of this narrative of like, you know, bad things happen, you take some time, you get over it, that's it. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, I lost my mom in 2017. And, you know, almost five years later, I'm like, still not over it, never going to be over it. You never really get over grief and loss. So I felt like that narrative was missing of Mm -hmm. like, you know, that, that we needed to have more meaningful conversations about grief, that we needed to talk about grief and the loneliness that comes with it the isolation the not just the sadness but all of the other feelings that come with it I really Mm. wanted to make room to talk about that in a casual approachable welcoming way because I Mm -hmm. think the really fascinating thing about grief is that it's so universal but we are so afraid to talk about it Mm. because we've been taught since childhood this is a bad thing, we shouldn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. It like really spins out for me when I start to go (laughs) talk about it. But it's like, if you look at social media today, it's such a like perfect encapsulation of everything we've been taught since we were children. It's that happiness is good, sadness is bad. Mm. Only post happy things. Only, you know, only highlight or show the happy parts of your life. Do not share the sad things. No one wants to know. Deal with that in your own time, you know, Mm -hmm. in your therapist office, in your bedroom, in your xyz private space in your car when you're driving on the highway like (laughs) you only deal with those things in that way and I just was like no no I I don't want to I don't want to do that and also it's not fair because there are some sadnesses that you can't hide Mm -hmm. when my mom died I could not hide how sad I was and my way of hiding it was partying a lot and you know trying to find distractions but I still couldn't hide it um So I think it's just this feeling of like when you're that sad and you feel like you need to hide that sadness, it's so isolating because Mm. you feel like you can't connect to anyone else around you who's quote unquote normal. Mm. And I just that isolation hurt so much. It really hurt a lot. And Mm. I think eventually what helped me was actually finding other people who had gone through the experience. So I was very lucky to have some comedy people in my life who had actually lost a parent who were there to just like take me in they Mm. just snuggled me and they were like it's okay this is really hard we're always here we can talk about it we can you know you can be whoever you need to be in this moment Mm -hmm. and we are here for you we support you um so that connection in the midst of this complete isolation of grieving and not being able to explain this grief to to anyone really like to my coworker that sat in the cubby next to me I couldn't turn to her and be like I can't stop thinking about my mom's death right now like you can't do that um so finding the connection with people who had lost a parent was like magical it just it was so so healing 
And so for me, a lot of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast is, again, to create that space for someone else Mm -hmm. to be like, hey, like, it's really hard and you can just you can sit with that. You don't have to pretend that this isn't hard. You don't have to pretend that you're on the timeline because that's the other thing with grief. When my mom died, so many people told me like the first year is the hardest and you know, all the firsts, the first birthday, the first anniversary, that's the hardest. And then, you know, you'll you'll get used to it. Time heals all wounds. Oh. Again, almost five years, still think about her every single day, still cry often because mm-hmm. she was she was my mom. It's not there's no timeline for healing and grief uh, and grieving. Like you just go at your own pace and do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's allowed. However you need to grieve, however you want to, you know, do this, honor this journey. Even I don't know what do this is. However you need to live <laughs> your life yeah. with yeah. this reality is fine, mm-hmm. it, it is actually allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, so just that message of like, there is space. There is room for us to talk about grief in a meaningful way and hold space for grief as just a lived experience, not grief as this Hollywood narrative of like, you start sad and then you get better and everything's good. No, doesn't <laughs> happen ever like after, that in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so just grief as a lived experience of just yeah. continued sadness yeah. is actually okay. Um, and the reason I called my pod, said that the podcast is kind of happy-ish sad things is again because of that connection I found with comedians I really wanted to connect with other comedians and artists on this on this podcast to talk to them about their experiences with grief Mm -hmm. um and so often the conversations were there was a lot of pain in the conversation but there was also a lot of lightness and humor and joy Mm -hmm. like they were never they didn't feel like dark conversations you know Mm -hmm. like often with grief you're like oh we're going to a dark place Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like a dark conversation it felt like just just a conversation it's light it's happy and there's like more humor in it than I expected so Mm -hmm. that's why I just always wanted to uh really highlight that these conversations can be kind of happy-ish, even though we're mm-hmm. talking about really sad things. Mm-hmm. And that's also a way to make grief a little bit less scary for those who aren't grieving and make it a little bit more approachable because, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's universal. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will at some point. So mm-hmm. it's actually in your best interest to open up and listen to stories of grief and grieving and to sort of, you know, take it in, to... to try to understand someone else's point of view someone else's journey someone else's experience mm-hmm. only helps you so it's yeah such, it's such a gift what so you've much. created no you have that is all a podcast is is us <laughs> rambling no please please <laughs> it's such a gift what you've created I mean you don't need me to tell you that but it's so beautiful like listening to all this all the story like listening to everybody's experiences listening to all the episodes and I think too like absolutely this idea that if you like it's that that narrative you were talking about but like oh well if you ignore it then it'll go away like it's that mm-hmm. and and like come how many times has that been proven wrong by so many things like if you have a cut on your body and you ignore it it's going to get infected and you're going to it's not going to be good like it's yeah. just never it's never helpful and you know even in listening to the podcast like you're talking about making it you know air quotes like approachable or like if people need baby steps into it it's like even if you can't face the the reality because okay it's you know it's so scary face the reality that 
you are going to deal with grief one day, even if that's too scary for you yet, someone you love is going to experience grief one day, even if it's just for someone you love, like somebody else Mm -hmm. is going to lose someone they love. So listening to these, I mean, listening to your podcast, it was, it, it felt like such a gift for me who, who I haven't lost somebody super close to me. And I just thought, well, my God, I feel so much better prepared in case myself, but also with anyone in my life, if that happens, I, there were so many beautiful moments where I'm like, oh my God, I never would have thought of that. And what a beautiful way to be able to support somebody or just hold space, just hold space mm-hmm. for, for people. And I'm curious for, I'm curious, like, you know, you, you shared in, in other interviews and stuff and here that like, you kind of grew up feeling like an outsider, like you've shared before that after the loss of your mom, you felt almost like alien, like, like you weren't, you couldn't find your place. Mm-hmm. And that you couldn't talk about it a lot with people, right? Like, how do you turn to your coworker and say it? And a lot of it is for other people. Like, you don't want to make them feel, I don't know, bad or, or awkward or whatever. It's all about the other. And I'm so curious, now that you're able to create these incredible pieces of art, like Finders Grievers and with Dead Parent Society, now I feel like you have so many people asking you about it. Like, on podcasts and interviews, they almost, it's like, I mean, I'm doing it right now. Like, everyone's asking you about your grief and your loss and your story. And I wonder what that shift is like from going feeling like you can't talk to anyone about it to now it's almost like what if you don't want to talk about it and just everyone's asking you all the time like what is that shift like yeah you know it's so interesting I realize that I'm actually not that great at talking about my grief in a very personal way Mm. um so I was you know I went through this entire grieving journey I'm still going through it where I'm like I can't talk to people about my grief I can't Mm. talk to the person sitting across the table from me about what's going on in my head right now because there's just too much darkness. Mm. And then when this arena opened up of, you know, everyone's like, well, why grief? I'm like, well, because we need to talk about it. And then it's yeah. like, but why you? And I'm like, well, because it happened and I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, um, yeah it's really interesting. What I did find is um, I am very comfortable talking about it I don't know. I don't know if it's like a time or a place thing, but like sometimes I'm like a fountain where I'm mm. just like my mom used to do this and she's like this and da 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 da. And then other times I'm muted, mm-hmm. and I don't know what controls that. I really I couldn't tell you, but yeah, in terms of like actually talking about my grief in the very personal way of like this is what my mother meant to me. This is why her loss was so big to me. I, it, I'm so bad at finding the words. I tried to do that. So the first episode of my podcast is called Where to Begin. Oh my God, I should not forget the name of it. It's called Where to Begin. It's okay, you've done uh, a lot since. You've done a lot since, yeah. <laughs> so that episode, it's very different from all of the other episodes. In every episode, I usually sit down with a guest and we discuss, you know, who they are, what, you know, who they've lost, what that was like, what their journey has been. Like, it's talking, it's a conversation Mm. rather than the episode that I recorded for myself. (sighs) I hated it. It was so hard. It was so hard. And I actually, um, I recorded all of the guest episodes first. Mm -hmm. So I had like this 10 episode season planned and Mm -hmm. I recorded all of the episodes with the guest and then I was like, I'm about to launch and it's the week before. And I'm like, I don't have an intro. Like, mm. no one's going to know why I'm here talking about this. <laughs> no one. Everyone's going to be like, who the hell is this girl? Who does she think she is? Why does she get to do, you know, this podcast about grief? 
So I like talked around and I was like, oh my God, I think I have to do an episode on myself. And I don't like, I just hated it. I messaged a friend of mine. I was like, hey, I think I'm going to have to do like an intro episode. I think I'm going to write out a script Mm -hmm. and can I send that to you and you can read it over and let me know if it's good because I like really need this intro episode to be perfect because Mm -hmm. people really need to understand like why I'm doing this and why my mom was the best person ever and like why all of this and she was like of course I'd be happy to support like let me know and I was like cool I'll send you something this weekend never sent her anything oh no (laughs) couldn't do it I I just couldn't do it I couldn't sit down and write this perfect episode I was like it's not gonna be perfect it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what I write a it will never be perfect to me Mm -hmm. and b if it's perfect to me and I send it to someone for feedback and they give me an iota of feedback I will be like no shattered yeah I was like what was I thinking being like, oh, can you give me feedback on my lived experience? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I never sent it to her. I talked to her after and she was like, of course. I no, totally, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. She's probably yeah like, it's totally I didn't fun. think you would send me anything. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I recorded the, the first episode is just me sitting down it, like this, you know, laptop microphone and just being like, so I'm Shohana, uh, and this has been my life so far, and this was my mother. And I actually spent most of the episode, I think, talking about my mom because mm-hmm. it's really hard to, like, I have her in my mind constantly. Mm-hmm. I, you know, have her photo as my desktop background. I'm looking at it right now. Her, mm-hmm. My phone background is her photo. I have photos of her around here everywhere. I have a lifetime of memories of her that I just, like, you know, So when I think my mom, it's like an instant of like, I know exactly who this person is. I know what they mean and I know why they're the best and Mm. you don't get why they're the best. Mm. And I have to explain to you why they're the best. And that was a lot. Like, I just was like, I'm never going to be able to do it. Like, I'm never going to be able to get this perfect explanation of like, here's who she was. Here's why she was the best, blah, 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 blah. Mm. So, yeah, I I, like wrote something, uh, some (laughs) kind of a outline and I did this episode and it was like so interesting because I felt like everything I was saying in that episode was stuff that I had already said before like I felt like my friends all knew that like you know this is who my mom was this is how I felt and you know this is how I felt after she passed away and it was like such a lightning bolt when that episode went live I had like endless messages texts Mm. uh from friends just being like I didn't know I never knew that you felt that you never like I've known you 10 years and I did not know that this is what she meant to you and this and it was just I was like really guys have you all been listening (laughs) like it's not their fault but yeah I think I'm like not so good at always expressing uh how I feel about her And then once in a while, when I like really put it all out, people are like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you probably also walk around feeling like when when something means so much to us, sometimes you can feel like so for me, at least like if something is so important or I feel so vulnerable, you just feel like raw and exposed. Like, oh, no, for sure that stranger over there could articulate exactly what's going on with me right now because it's all over my body and my heart and my face and whatever. But Sometimes, like, I think that we hide ourselves not as well as we think. Like, we th- we think mm-hmm. we're putting on a brave face and 
people can see us more. But I actually think sometimes like we're hiding better than we realize. Like people can't read us as much as as we think they can sometimes. Yeah. 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 I I, I think so. And it was um, yeah, I, I just didn't. I had a friend who uh, she said she usually bikes to work and she messaged me after that episode went live. She was mm. like, I was listening to it in my headphones uh, as I was biking to work and I had to stop because I had too many tears in my eyes. <laughs> oh, like, Shohana, the number of times I've cried listening to your oh. podcast, but also like when I listen to you and Alana, I, but it's also like, here's the thing. It's not like I'm crying and like, oh my God, you made me so sad and it was so uncomfortable and like, oh, well now I can't listen to that. It is such a gift. It's such a privilege to be privy to those conversations. I'm crying at like happy part. I found myself, I was like going to get a bagel at St. Lawrence Market, just walking along with my little AirPods, my little mask. And I'm listening to an episode. Which episode was I listening to? With Gulad maybe? I can't remember. I was listening to an episode and like I got teary eyed at a, at a very tender moment. But then I also caught myself later, you two, you and your guests were talking and like was saying a memory about about their um, loved one who had who they had lost. But like in a funny way. And I was like smiling and crying like you're also just like, oh, my God, his his mom was so silly. Like when she was alive, <laughs> like you're just you're you include your audiences in the conversations so intimately that you can't help but cry I, I could your friend is brave I couldn't bike anywhere listening to your podcast because I would be so <laughs> talk about being present I was so present when I was listening to your podcast like it was such a, a it's such a gift I think like everyone needs to go listen to it just go stop <laughs> listening to this now <laughs> just, we'll finish this because Johan is here but then go listen to that episode I want to I want to ask you and like this could be so off base this is just a thought I had I wanted to run by you okay mm-hmm. I know that you're a big fan of Hannah Gatsby. Big yes. fan by like big fan, also big crush. We know both. Mm-hmm. We're, so I'm just saying that so we put it out in the universe. Is Hannah married? She got married this year and I was heartbroken. Oh, Shohana, I'm fine. so sorry. <laughs> no. It was, I was crying. actually really this, sad. This, I was like, no. This has now become a depressing podcast. Johanna's heart is broken. Wait? <laughs> Could I you have waited? Well, maybe they'll decide to have an open marriage and they'll be really happy about it. Or maybe it'll be like a polyamorous situation. I I don't know. Something, maybe something will happen where it's happiness for everybody. Like it it works out. I don't know. Or maybe Hannah's gone forever and we'll just have posters of, of, um, but I know a big fan of, of her Mm -hmm. as a potential future lover and also as an artist. (laughs) Um, I'm also, and, and her comedy special in the net, which I am also a huge fan of. And when I learned that you were a huge fan of that, I just, this thought kept popping into my mind. And so I want to run it by you. Okay. So I know that this, the subject matter and the point of her special is so different from the work that you do in like the space of grief. I totally know that. And I know that like her talking about how she's constantly being self-deprecating is not like the point of view that you're taking in your work. But I just found myself wondering like, what is it like for you now to have the like biggest loss in your life and you're having and you are talking about it over and over and over again like in in a podcast or in a show that you've written um, that you've sold tickets to a podcast that you've you know scheduled like ahead of time that you're scheduling having to maybe re-experience different Mm -hmm. parts and maybe past experiences that you're in a different place now, but you're having to revisit them. And that was very much about her talking about like kind of 
her her I know it's it's such different stories but still like her almost re she was finally like she's almost re-traumatizing herself through her stand-up mm-hmm. and I was just curious if you relate to that at all or especially on days where you're like I don't want to fucking talk about my mom today. I don't want to talk about grief today, but I have a podcast scheduled today with a guest. And tonight I have to do a show with Dead Parent Society that I've sold tickets to and I'm not in the mood. Like, what is it like? What is that like? Is there any sort of parallels that you find? Yeah, it's um, I think more so for the podcast. Yeah. It's very um, I don't know if re-traumatizing is the right word for me, mm-hmm. but I just I know that it was tiring it Mm. was draining I loved having those conversations but I would schedule I learned very quickly that if I had a recording booked I couldn't do anything else that day like I just knew that that was my day it was really hard and honestly I was actually talking to Caroline Das who is in the Dead Parents Society show Mm. I was talking to her last night and I was telling her that because right now my podcast, uh, we just finished season one in mid-October and we're actually on break. So we're going to be back in January with season two. But I was telling her, like, I didn't know how much I needed the break until I got it. Because as much as I loved having those conversations, as much as I loved doing the work for that podcast, it was also so much emotional labor to have to not just listen to these stories, but hold these stories, you know, honor them and really, you know, create, like try to, so much of it also during the editing process. I don't know if you find this sometimes. Okay, so first of all, Mm -hmm. the conversations, the podcast that you're hearing is usually around like 45 minutes to an hour, probably. Mm -hmm. The actual audio is anywhere from hour and a half to two and a half hours Mm. like I Gulet and I recorded for two and a half hours and I was like this is not okay um (laughs) yeah so these are like long deep conversations Mm -hmm. and they take a lot and then this process of that I have to do of going back and listening to this like two and a half hour you know thing Mm. and then being like well, is this going to make it into the cut? Like chopping it up. Should I cut this? Yeah. I, it's impossible. Oh, it was yeah. so, so hard. It was so hard to be like, I think this grief story is going to go better <laughs> than this grief story. So I'm yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. just felt awful, like yeah. hacking it up in that way. And again, like re-listening to the same stories again and again, revisiting my own grief again mm. and again was just tiring. So I don't know if it's like, re-traumatizing but it was like a re I guess I'll just call it like revisiting my Mm -hmm. grief was really hard or even not that I'm not grieving now but it's like revisiting certain periods of my grief Mm -hmm. that like you know I've sort of moved on from that period Mm -hmm. going back to that and really hearing and thinking about where I was at at the time is like is a lot and um The thing about the podcast is I have actually been talking about doing a podcast for like three years. Mm -hmm. I started talking about it, I think, in like 2018, 2019, around then, because so many people had cool podcasts. And I was like, this is so cool. I want to do something in this podcast space. I love podcasts. I listen to literally I never listen to the radio. I just always have podcasts going in the background. I don't know any new songs anymore. It's so embarrassing Me too. because I, everyone's like, oh, have you heard this song? I'm like, well, I don't drive and I only listen to podcasts. So I'm like, 
have you listened to this podcast? Like, I feel so out of it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I feel the same way. I don't know any totally. songs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was always listening to podcasts and I really loved it. So I was like, I think I want to do a podcast about grief. And I was constantly asking around. And people are so lovely. Like so many people in the comedy space actually offered help. They were like, yeah, if you want to do a podcast, like, let me know. I'll help you out with equipment. I'll do this. I'll do that. And I just never could get it together to do it. Mm. Like it took a really long time for me to actually put the podcast together. And... I think the reason I started, like when the pandemic started, the extreme isolation we all felt Mm. going from like normal life to lockdown and especially like me living alone, I just, I didn't have anything in my life. I just had time and that was it. And it was just the loneliest feeling in the world. I was like, oh shit, this brings up some stuff. And it, (laughs) because it was reminding me of that isolation of, losing my mom and feeling like I was the only person in the world that there was something wrong with me. There were people around me, people my age, my coworkers, and I couldn't talk to them. I couldn't explain to them what was going on. And I felt so alone. Like that isolation came back up during the pandemic in a big way, in Mm. like a really big way. Mm. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh man, I really, I need to talk about, I need to make room for this experience and I actually just really need to do this podcast so that's why this whole project came together really from the summer of 2020 to to you know when it launched in spring of 2021 so that's <laughs> when it was like I was like okay I think I think I'm actually gonna put this into into motion and it was all just I I honestly don't know if I would have a podcast if it wasn't for the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever would have gotten my shit together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or even, I mean, even had time, like e- even even gifted yourself enough time to do it. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like you were already kind of on like a machine of its own of like, nope, this yeah. is what I do. Like I do, I work and then rehearsal and then I do a show and maybe I write and then I go to bed and we wake up and we just do this over and over again. Absolutely. That you kind of, you kind of just don't, when would you have had the time to like hold on I'm gonna have to replace something with this and I'm gonna have to stop that and maybe that maybe that wouldn't have like maybe also it wouldn't have happened just logistically yeah yeah absolutely yeah and the thing you said earlier about like Mm. is it hard to do sketch about grief when I know that you know so I think for me the dead parents society show is weirdly sort of removed from my mom it's Mm. a show about grief it's a dark sketch comedy and we Like we do have, obviously we take experiences from our real life, Mm -hmm. but I don't know why I at some point created this barrier of like, my mom isn't in this show. Mm. Like this is about my, this is about me dealing with the aftermath. This is Mm. like, I just, I don't know why that is. There is a scene in the show where I talk about my mom. Um, It's the last scene. It's, I cry every time every time Mm -hmm. we've done the show I think we've done it what like 10 times now between the two uh maybe not 10 like a close a handful of times Mm -hmm. and every time we do that scene I cry I like every night I'm like before the show I'm like all right not gonna cry tonight you guys ready I'm gonna get get out there just say this line and it'll be fine and every single night I just couldn't um Mm -hmm. and so that part is connected to my mom but the rest of it is so much more 
the show was so collaborative that we all worked together to, you know, write these scenes and make them. So it was a lot of, um, yeah, it was just very collaborative. And in mm-hmm. that way, it didn't really feel directly connected to my mom. It felt connected to me and my grief mm-hmm. about my mom. So mm-hmm. I think that made it a little bit easier mm-hmm. as opposed to the podcast where I, every episode I mentioned my mom, every yeah. episode I say like, oh, my mom used to do this, et cetera, et cetera. So this the podcast actually feels a lot more personal and mm-hmm. a lot more directly tied to me, which is why I think doing it was so, so tiring. Yeah. Well, it's also it's also unscripted. So yeah. when something is scripted, it can be it can mean just as much to you. But it's there. There's a there's somewhat I mean, like you said, you know, cry every night, even if you try not to. But there's somewhat of like a predictable aspect to it for you. You know how it's going to end, even if you don't know exactly how it's going to end, like emotionally mm-hmm. for you you know the lines you know the subject matter or certain things that it's going to come up whereas the podcast like I mean you're also not only are you sharing your own story but you like you said you are holding space and taking such amazing care of your guests that alone whether you had your own story to share or not would 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 be tired like absolutely would be tiring and would be such a great way to use your energy but would still be tiring in the end of it and Okay, so you were talking about like every every time you do the scene, um, you you cry, and mm-hmm. it it made me think of you brought something up on a podcast that I had never even thought of, never even talked about before, and it was such a gift because Shahana had been having such a shitty week, <laughs> such an emotionally <laughs> shitty week. I don't even know. It's like one of those weeks where you're like, "What's wrong?" And I think I know, but I can't quite articulate it. But mm. I'm like, that makes it just as valid, and like no one can help, and they shouldn't need to help, and all these things, but you were talking on a podcast about how like it's hard for people to hold space like you're saying like just to hold space it's hard for them not to want to fix things right everyone Mm -hmm. has like your loved ones have great intentions and yeah if I'm like oh I'm sad their first intention is probably or their desire is to like what can I do to help how can I fix it but you in that conversation you brought up the idea of toxic positivity and Mm -hmm. how like it's just this and you kind of talked about it earlier actually in our conversation with like social media I don't know if I had ever actually heard the term toxic positivity. And when you first said it, I was like, oh, my God, what's that? And then when you talked about it, I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's I am. I want out. I am stuck in the ocean. Get me the fuck out of here. And it stops me. Okay, well, first of all, would you mind just because you said it so well? What is toxic positivity? So for me, toxic positivity is this whole idea of like, if I mean, not to shit on any anyone else, but it's like this idea of like, if you just smile in the mirror every morning, you're going to have a great day. And it's mm. this idea of like, if you're just positive, you'll have a great life. If you're just positive and if you just smile and if you just, you know, take things lightly, all of that stuff, it's this mm-hmm. idea of, you know, happiness is the only option that that's what toxic positivity is to me is Mm -hmm. we've been taught since we were children that being happy is good and being sad is not good Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) did you not want to rhyme because it felt cheesy (laughs) I know I didn't want to say bad I was like like, oh she's a comedy writer look at that little surprise ending (laughs) no I wasn't gonna do it Um, (laughs) but it's uh it's just this idea of like if you're not happy there's something Mm -hmm. wrong with you Mm-hmm. That's what we've been taught to believe. And it's this idea of if there's if you're sad, there's something wrong with you. I need to fix the thing that's wrong with you and yeah. then you'll be happy and then everything will be fine. And so we get caught in this endless, endless, like a snake eating its own tail. You're just always 
punishing yourself for being sad because if you're sad, then there's something wrong with you and you mm-hmm. need to fix it so that you can be happy. It yeah. just, there's no comfort. There's no comfort in this life of toxic positivity because you're either happy and everything's great and you should do everything you can to maintain this happiness. <laughs> Which like isn't even happy. You're just it's like, not happy. it's, it's, it's just, the running away thing we talked about. It's like running away from not being unhappy, but are we yeah. ever, act- I'm happy, sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. or you're sad and you need to put all of your energy into being not sad. Mm-hmm. We don't leave room for sadness. And when we are sad, we think, oh, this is bad. This is not good. This we can't be here. And so we isolate. That's mm-hmm. where a lot of like the isolation of grief is not entirely inflicted by society. A lot of it is self-inflicted. I isolated. I pulled back from certain situations because I was like I don't think I can do that today I need Mm -hmm. to be home to cry for six hours like that's Mm -hmm. my reality so I think it's the the like really toxic positivity is this like just being pulled between these two places and never being able to rest never being Mm -hmm. able to just be where you're at and accept it for what it is Mm -hmm. it's so interesting what you said earlier I thought it made me think of something so I um you said that you know when you're sad people try to make you happy because Mm -hmm. that's what they think they're supposed to do Mm -hmm. I've had this issue in multiple relationships now Mm. where um and it only I only started noticing it after my mom passed away is um I would be having a bad day and I would tell my partner and they would be like okay well what can I do to make you happy and I'd Mm -hmm. be like nothing it's not you don't have to make me happy and that's not even you trying to make me happy wouldn't make me happy you know what would make me exactly my heart happy is if you just let me be sad and I can just be sad (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. I would I had like full-fledged arguments Mm -hmm. with partners being like it's not your job to make me happy you don't Mm -hmm. you're not responsible for my happiness I really Mm -hmm. appreciate that you want me to be happy but you also need to realize that I have my own life and experiences that lead me to places and times where sometimes I just can't be happy. Mm-hmm. And I need to be okay. Like, I need you to be okay with me being sad sometimes. Yeah. And it was like a uh, real struggle. because It's so hard. Like, well, but why? I think it's so hard because really the question, what I would rather, and what sometimes I think people mean, what the subtext of it is, what do you need? Like, Mm -hmm. that's what I would prefer. What do you need? And I will say, can you cheer me up? Or I just, could you just be here while I cry? But but it it does, like, the power of just saying that sucks and just allowing somebody to feel sad or feel whatever, it's almost like either someone, it's this idea that, like, (laughs) either we're happy or all the other feelings that that are linked with unhappiness people act as if you're on fire. Like with that immediacy of like, oh my God, you're sad, fix it. Oh my God, they're sad. We have to make them happy. Or like, oh my God, I'm so sad. I have to get out of this so quickly. They, We need distraction. We need this. And it's like, oh my God, just be a little sad or just yeah. allow somebody. It's so much work. Like I find like, so this week for things that I, for, for reasons I can articulate and reasons I can't I can't figure out how to articulate I've been having a very emotional shitty week like I'm waking up in the middle of the night and just crying or I'm crying in the shower and then I'm not anyway all of the things and Mm -hmm. I've realized like this toxic positivity this idea of it of how it resonated with me it holds me back from even reaching out to people close to me and it's not their fault it's in no way but it's because I in my head think of how the conversation is going to go they're going to say well what's wrong and if I can articulate it, 
they're going to want to fix it. Or even if they can't, they're going to want to, well, I'm sure things will get better. Or like, you know, you it's just a bad, like they want to have done their part in being a good friend or a good whatever and in, in making you feel better. And then if they can't, like, then I'm being difficult. And again, I don't blame any of them, but it's kind of like, it's going to be more work for me to reach out to somebody than it is mm-hmm. for me to just be sad on my own wishing like I could reach out to somebody yeah and that I think is all with this anxious like it's more than a need it's like a body it's like a survival (laughs) almost like it's embedded in us as like a survive like fight or flight away Mm -hmm. from sadness and I think it was just so powerful when you talked about it because and I think it was on the podcast death is hilarious I think that's where you two were talking about it maybe yeah yeah and it was Another like a great grief podcast such, such a great podcast and it, it it was just like so eye-opening of the power that is behind just holding spaces for somebody to just be sad and also like if you're uncomfortable with it it's okay that you're uncomfortable with seeing your loved one sad but it's also mm-hmm. okay that they're sad and like you asking them to to ignore their sadness so that everything seems more comfortable like doesn't actually help them at all you know yeah and honestly like like I said I've had many arguments about this but (laughs) I don't blame them it's just yeah I I almost think of it as like brainwashing we've all just been told from day one that this is how it goes this is how you this is the right response yeah and so I myself have caught myself sometimes when someone's having a hard time saying like is there anything, like, what can I do to help? Yeah, or and, suggesting, oh, well, maybe you do this. Yeah. And then I'm like, God yeah. damn it, why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. And what I instead want to change to and what I, like, now try to remember to say is, like, what do you need from me or what do you want me to do in this mm-hmm. situation? Not in, like, a, what do you want me to do? But What like, do you want from me? Yeah. Yeah, just, like, yeah. what do you, is there anything you need me to do or want me to do? Like, mm-hmm. is there any way I can support you in this mm-hmm. moment? It's hard. It's like because my first my first instinct always is to be like, what can I do to help? Of course. It's like maybe yeah. I can't help right now, but yeah. you know, I'm open to, you know, tell me tell me what you need from me and I will yeah. do my best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really tough. It's Yeah. I heard someone once say also that um with their partner, they started asking, "Are you in a fix it place or a feel it place?" And then they say, <laughs> "I'm going to fix it. I want to fix it." Great. Then I'll 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 problem solve with you or I want to feel it. Great. That sucks. How how does it feel to feel that way? Or like, God, that just sounds like it's so sad. Or like, I'm sorry that. you feel that way. Yeah, and it's kind of like, where are you at? Because sometimes when I'm sad, I am like, I'm so lost. Somebody pull me out. <laughs> like, somebody get me mm-hmm. out of this. And sometimes I'm just like, no, I just want to be sad and I want to sit here. What is your, when you just, when you're sad and you are in a space where you're like, I just want to let myself be fucking sad. What are some of your favorite ways to like allow yourself to just experience sadness. Uh, okay, so I think the <laughs> <laughs> so many. Um, I think really just I think comfort, like mm-hmm. whatever makes me feel comfortable. If that's being on the couch uh, with Netflix on the background and my phone in my hand, if that's helping, great. That's what I'm yes. gonna do. I know it's not the best solution. I know that the best, like you know doctors would say that if you go for a run right now you'll have endorphins and that'll help it's not what I want right now I'm never exercising to be sad 
No, yeah. it's also because I'm like doctors again. I don't want to fix it. I don't want endorphins yeah. right now. Yeah, I just want to indulge. I want to be luxurious in my sadness. So I'm gonna exactly. not even yeah. move my so body an inch. Yeah, I just go for like 100% a place of comfort. So yeah. whether it's in my bed, you know, sometimes it's like I'll go out for a walk and I'll just like sit on a bench for and extended periods of time, and I really am addicted to podcasts so like I will listen to I'm actually kind of doing this right now I re-listen to my favorite podcasts um like not just re-listen to an episode but like I will go back to when it started six seasons ago and like binge it like you do a Netflix show yeah I'm doing that right now I did that earlier this year with um one of my favorite comedy podcasts which is uh my dad wrote a porno it's like a I've heard such good things about that podcast and I still haven't listened to it it's very funny I did that earlier this year uh not once not twice three times in a row I listened to the (laughs) same five seasons three times in a row it was like two months of just listening to these people's voices and I was like do you know them do you know those people (laughs) no they need to know you they need to know you they're so famous. They're so, I, I, the whole time I was doing it, I was like, because they didn't even have a live season going on at the time. Oh, So they were probably know. seeing their traffic going up in like this one place. And they were like, Just what's going like on? Like one download every day. They're like, what is going on? What, what we are gaining Not traction. one download every day. So I work here at my desk and mm-hmm. I, like, I have my work laptop here and then I have my personal laptop over there. So I would be working here, like emailing or whatever, and I'd have that going all day long in my personal laptop. <laughs> oh so God, it was like, it is literally the soundtrack to my life day. was yeah. this podcast for two yeah. months. And I'm doing that right now with another uh, podcast that I love. It's uh, Reply All. It's like a tech and internet podcast. Oh, um, I, I think they have like 180 episodes or something. And I just started from one last week and I'm at, 110 right now you alone are keeping podcasts going you alone are the reason that they can get advertisers because they're like yeah we're getting a thousand downloads a day it's all i love podcasts i can't stop listening to them like every new podcast that comes out on sonar like i've listened to obviously i've listened to liquid courage a bunch like i just i love just having podcasts your podcast is amazing you know that it's so good let me tell you i (laughs) i similar to you i wanted to start a podcast for years i have emails reaching out to ashley como asking her like what do you think about this idea or this what like four years ago it's so embarrassing i chose to start recording january 2020 covid hit i was like it's a sign i shouldn't podcast like this is ridiculous (laughs) and so it's kind of all been with like during covid where I'm not I'm not seeing people so it part of me is like does anyone even know like nobody know you're just you're creating it in a void almost sometimes it can feel like yeah. so um it really means a lot that you've listened that's really cool of thanks course. Shawana it's that's so lovely. good it's so oh. great I uh, like creating the podcast in a void was very hard and yeah. I learned very quickly that I couldn't look at numbers even oh, yeah, if numbers were good, it just was no. like, nope, no. not for me. I nope. can't be tied to this. I just have to focus on the work and yeah. that's it. But yeah, it's really hard doing this completely alone in a pandemic. So <laughs> yes. the fact that you've had this podcast going for now almost two years is incredible. So congratulations. Thanks, Joel. Thank you. Well, it's also a gift because it's like, I mean, you've been on my list of people I wanted to be a guest like since the beginning and I just... <laughs> It's also like, okay, well, I'm alone. So this Mm -hmm. has also been a way 
I want, you know, I also always like feel like an outsider and feel like, oh my God, I don't belong. Even if people say I do and until they find out that I don't, you know, all those, all those thoughts. And so being able to reach out to people and like connect to people and actually have meaningful conversations it I, I don't care if this sounds cheesy it's not toxic positivity what I'm saying it's genuine that like I really learn something from every single podcast like I was texting a friend today and I was like oh my god I'm in such an emotional schlump like I can't get things done blah blah and I was like but you know what I have a podcast recording tonight and like I know it's gonna like heal my heart a bit in like a genuine way not in like a distraction way or whatever like I, I really get so much from every guest so it's also just like it's fuel the editing part woof <laughs> but the recording part is amazing yeah okay 100%. so to to end, yeah exactly to um to end today I never want it to come to an end to end today I like to end with a few like little quick questions if cool. if we may also whatever I say this every episode I say quick questions you take as much time as you want there's no pressure <laughs> on the timing because I'm also it's not like what's your favorite color I fuck over guests that way but okay my first question for you is who's someone that you haven't um, gotten to collaborate with yet that you would love to work with in Toronto in the world oh god that is an impossible <laughs> question I mean my dream yes. my dream person dream in like Toronto. an alternate reality no no in this reality okay, in, in, this in reality. your future absolutely we're gonna manifest <laughs> yeah. it they're gonna listen uh, my yeah. dream person would be Tig Notaro. <gasps> Good I just I have been a fan for so long and I think no one owns their comedy better no one owns their work their presence their everything better and I just oh. have I'm in awe of of her I just like the way she walks on and it's instantly like she's not like look at me but it just you can't turn away because she mm. just she's so she's so present she has so much presence but she's also so comfortable she's not mm. here to please you she's just here to I don't know entertain like I don't know I just I love her I have the biggest I've had the biggest crush on her for like 10 years so oh my yeah God. huge fan <laughs> well I'm gonna cut to when when you two are being interviewed on a talk show and <laughs> whoever we have doing the interview is like oh yeah so I heard you're a fan for a big and I will send them this clip and be like, look, <laughs> it happened. It's going to happen 100%. I can't wait. I can't ah, wait. The dream. The dream. Okay, so let's say you book something really big as a performer and they reach out to you and they're like, okay, what do we have to have in your dressing room? Like what's in your rider? You get one thing. You can make it as luxurious or practical as you want. You get one thing in your dressing room. What is in your rider? Uh, I'm going to ask for a mini fridge with Red Bull and ginger ale. <laughs> I love it. You know what's so funny? A lot of people have chosen drinks, which totally makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I can't count the number of times people have said sparkling water, which is just fascinating to me in itself. But I love that you picked a mini fridge full of, because people will be like, sp like sparkling water. But I'm like, no, get the whole fridge and put whatever you want in there. Do you mix Red Bull and ginger ale or drink them separate? I drink them separate, but mm -hmm. I never drink Red Bull except before shows. Oh, And not even before every show, but before sketch shows specifically there's something about I think it's more in my head than actually in the chemicals of it but mm. I just feel like it energizes me. I mean it's Red Bull it probably is there's something <laughs> right, right, in the chemicals there might too. be some a little bit of caffeine yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just like it energizes me in a way where I'm just like 
it's 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 a little bit nervous energy but it's just mm-hmm. like oh i'm so like i'm ready let's go um so yeah. i want like i <laughs> for a while i was um i was i had a, someone else on my troop who also would drink a red bull before and like we would like text each other before the show being like are you grabbing one today or am i <laughs> we really take turns oh that's amazing yeah and ginger ale because i just always keep ginger ale at home uh because i just feel like it's useful it's like a thing you I can have when you're nauseous ale. if you're yeah. like a little burpy so that's just like for safety yeah the red bull for energy Growing up, my mom, like, never really bought pop, but she would buy us ginger ale. So for me, like, ginger ale is like, oh, my fancy but non-alcoholic drink. That's yeah. what I'm going to have. You know? It's yeah. nice. It's like, my feeling fancy, but I don't want to be bloated tomorrow in my face. I'm going to have a ginger ale. I 100% will put ginger ale in the wine glass and just pretend that I'm having wine. Oh, like, why like, not? Yeah. Why not? It's interesting that you said for Rebel, like, I don't know if it actually is or if it's just in my head. I'm like, oh, like red stripe, like some some associations, you know what I mean? Oh. Association with drinks. I just really love drinks that start with red. They make Absolutely. me feel positive. This red is stripe, a toxic positivity ad. <laughs> <laughs> red wine, maybe. Mm-hmm. In your episode with Gulad, you too brought something up, um, like a an ultimatum. And then I was like, ooh, tell me what you would choose. And then you two did it. Not that you like set it up and didn't. It was like a casual thing. But you two were talking about Baby Yoda, Grogu. Oh and you were like, oh, wouldn't it be funny? Like, yeah, like like a, a, a horrible, like, who would you kill? Grogu, Baby Yoda from Mandalorian, or Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy. So I must know, if you have to kill one of them, are you killing Grogu or are you killing Groot? Can I just say, first of all, <laughs> yes. the episode with Guled, we recorded for two and a half hours, and at least one and a half of those hours is me laughing because he oh. was so funny. I had to cut out so much stuff from that episode <laughs> that I've always, I almost am like, I should release a part two with just like all the laughs that he, like, he's so funny. Oh. Um Everyone go and watch I Tall Boys. About that Baby Yoda versus Groot thing. I yeah. think if I had to kill, oh no, that's impossible. Um, I know, isn't it awful? I'm sorry. It's why I put it at the end, I so you know guess... that I love and respect you. So then, then no, I'm putting you in this position. I, I can't. I was gonna say Groot, <laughs> but then I remembered Groot's face. I can't. So cute. There's so then Grogu. Cute. Like gro- like it's like when you think of one, you want to kill the other, but then you think of that one, and then you want to kill the other one. Who are these monsters on the internet? I don't know. We're coming up with games trolls. like trolls, evil trolls. Yeah, I, truly I don't know. Cannot pick one. I just, I know. Yeah, I keep in the episode with Gulet. I think yeah. I said maybe Groot because he's a tree, and yeah. I was like, but trees feel pain. It's I know. A- you very quickly yeah. were like, yeah, but no, I can't do that. Yeah. T- to be fair, like this is a question I'm asking you that I, I couldn't answer myself. So it's unfair. Like, I don't think I could. Before I watched Mandalorian and someone asked me this, I'd be like, oh, Grogu. But then since watching Mandalorian, my partner and I watched it together, we would rewind just to (laughs) moments where Grogu was like, "Ah," like made little noises. And we're like, oh, my God. Like, you want to you want to pick him up under his tiny armpits and you just want to hold him. But I know I think I would kill Groot. I don't yeah. know because now I'm thinking of it's just because I would. But then you remember yeah. the video of Groot dancing, and you're just oh, like, it cannot end. happen. And then I can't kill <laughs> hap- I can't kill genuine happiness. I'm gonna watch that video after this. <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. That's what you do when like you've indulged in sadness, and now you're like, you know what? I'm feeling 
a little bit less sad either way is fine i'm gonna watch dancing group not to cheer me <laughs> up but just like because i'm in that place Do i'm you, gonna have yeah. you ever seen the um baby red panda getting scared by a zookeeper video on youtube oh my god it's so good <laughs> it is <laughs> it's so my favorite good video of all time oh my god it's, Literally, I look, I watch it sometimes <laughs> just like on my lunch hour. I'll just pull it up and I'll just watch. My sister-in-law uh, sends it to me just like from time to time. Like in a text? Like, I know you want to see it. I'm like, oh, I always want to see I it. I always want to see it. I always want to see it. And that video, like red pandas are now my favorite animal. I actually like read and did a lot of research on them. I like support charities to preserve red pandas because I love them so much. Aww. Um and my sister-in-law got me a painting of two red pandas like going at each other. That's now like, I just have <laughs> a big soft spot in my heart for taking red over pandas your life. in general. But that yeah. video is, uh, it's so it's good. It's so good. Such such surprise in the little beautiful angel's face that you're just like, oh, and you don't. I feel the tiny bit, like the smallest bit bad. Like it's when like a baby starts crying and it's so cute, and you're like, yeah. oh, I shouldn't feel like this is so cute. But then the red pan is fine. So then you're like, okay, great, I can enjoy this. Let's watch it again, and then you just it's, feel it all over again. I mean, I've watched that video to the point like I can like analyze mo- moments <laughs> in it, but like it's yeah. when he falls back and his oh. friend is like, what? No, let me help, and then yeah. the, he just runs away, and the friend's like, oh, I guess not. It's just. <laughs> perfection like oh. i've never seen a more perfect video i really god. have it it's so good <laughs> oh i forgot about that all right so if you have to kill that red panda grow no or Groot. <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm like all the cute things well we wouldn't kill that red panda i mean yeah i don't know all i know is i have to keep grogu alive basically i think that's what i have to do but it doesn't mean that i'm killing anybody else yeah Anyway, yeah, I really can't. we're going to move on from this question. It was horrendous. <laughs> and I'm, I'm blaming uh, Gulet. Everybody go watch Tall Boys, but I'm blaming Gulet in that. Um, okay, so on some podcasts that I was listening to, you had talked about how, like, during the pandemic, you're watching a lot of, I think you used the word crap TV, trash TV, one of them. I yeah. am not judging. I love a good what I'm assuming is crap TV, trash TV. Um, what is your current go-to reality TV show right now? Ooh, Mm, gonna go back to YouTube. Kitchen yeah. Nightmares. Like, oh, full episodes of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> There's a UK version and a US version, and the two are very different shows. Yeah. <laughs> They're the exact same format, but the UK version is like without dramatic background music, and Gordon Ramsay <laughs> is like a person in it. The okay, US okay. version is literally like the most overproduced like every moment of it has some dramatic sting or like dun, 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 music and gordon ramsay in it is a goblin like he just oh. is this <laughs> screaming monster they really like wow it just you watch the two versions and you're like these are different shows like yeah. this can't be the same person but it is and it's so good again on my lunch hour if i'm like yeah making a sandwich i'll just turn on YouTube, uh, so the Kitchen Nightmares channel on YouTube now, mm. because their show wrapped like seven years ago, now they just put out like full episodes of it. They call it Full Episode Friday. <laughs> so every Friday they just put out a full episode from like an old season. And it's so good. Ooh. And whoever's running that YouTube channel is like the king slash queen <laughs> slash owner of clickbait because... <laughs> 
they just do such a good job. There's one, like every episode, they don't say like season four, episode seven. They say the Gordon Ramsay calls someone an idiot sandwich. And you're like, oh, I want to watch that. Click. Yes, yeah. please. Or there's one where it's like the infamous time Gordon found a pigeon in the kitchen. And you're like, of course I want to <laughs> see him find a pigeon in the kitchen. It's so oh ridiculous, my God. but it's so funny. It's like, and it's so formulaic that um, I've really found that during the pandemic, like my brain can't handle too much uncertainty because there's already mm. so much uncertainty in the world. So I've really enjoyed like sitcoms or reality TV shows with a very predictable um, mm. narrative. Mm-hmm. And Kitchen Nightmares is like perfect for that because it's just <laughs> formula is like first 40 seconds you get introduced to the restaurant next 30 seconds you meet the owner you see what's wrong with it you see like it's just it like you can literally break it down by scene by scene um so it's just ah, perfect i don't even have to watch it i can just have it on in the background and be like oh yeah they need to uh fix their kitchen or something (laughs) it's really they need to fix um, their kitchen no i'm the same honestly during the pandemic i got myself a hey you account like the the streaming service for reality tv best i mean best investment i ever ever made and i know those seem like very like dramatic kind of shows a lot of them like all the real housewives below deck all that stuff but i just find it so low stakes like i'm also the same i needed during the pandemic i needed like my emotions through my entertainment to to never go above like a four like i don't want anything i'm invested in i'm not watching titanic i'm not Mm -hmm. watching i mean i watched whatever the whatever the Covariant or whatever that movie was about basically COVID in the very beginning. Oh, I didn't watch Contagion. it. I couldn't handle it. What the fuck was I doing? I was by myself watching Contagion with my dog, idiot. But other than that, all reality, or I just rewatched like The Office, New Girl. Like I, I just started, I know you rewatched Seinfeld and I realized I've watched like episodes, but I've never watched it all the way through. So I just started from researching you. I was like, you know what? Let's just start finally. So I just started a couple days ago. I'm just going to watch it all the way through. It's so good. I mean, the, the, and later seasons, not so good, but like, it is such a, I rewatched it for the first time last winter and I'm Mm. actually planning on doing it again this winter. Oh, well maybe we'll be watching the same episodes at the same time. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I'll catch up with you. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, it's, it's a comfort thing. Like I also rewatched The Office. I rewatched Brooklyn Mm Nine-Nine, like anything that's just comfort. I'm yeah. like, I'm not going for it. I'm sad. Yeah. There's a lot happening in the world. Yeah. I need this all to be comfortable. Like background noise a bit, but that's yeah. still entertaining and, and comforting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. My last question for you today is what is something that you're feeling grateful for today? It doesn't have to be big. It can just be small or big, whatever you want. Nothing forced uh, toxic feeling? positivity, but what are you feeling grateful for today? I'm actually feeling really grateful for my friends today. I... Ah. I've always been sort of a private person. I don't have like a huge circle of friends, but the friends that I do have are very close to my heart. Mm. And so it's like a very tight knit circle for me. And I think during the pandemic, that circle has just gotten so much tighter and so much stronger because mm. it's like, we. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, I feel like these people, some of them I've known for 15 years, but I feel like in the past year we've gotten even more tighter than we ever were before mm-hmm. um and today particular reason I'm feeling very thankful I, like I woke up this morning and I was like man I really gotta text I feel like I haven't talked to Robin in like 
three days. I have to text her today. Like all mm-hmm. morning, I was like, I have to text Robin. I have to text Robin. And then at noon, I get a text from Robin being like, I don't have anything exciting. I just wanted to say, like, uh, I'm thinking of you and wanted to check in. I was like, oh, my God, are you psychic? Like, it's just, it was such a, like, whatever, coincidence or whatever. But it was just, like, such a perfect moment of, like, oh, I love this. I love that we have this. That, like, it's been two days and I feel like I haven't heard from you. So, like, Mm -hmm. I just want to check in on you. And then we, like, I've gotten into plants in a big way during the pandemic. Like, yeah. I went from, like, maybe 10 plants to now over 30. Um, this place <laughs> is turning into a jungle. And she's uh, a huge plant person, too. So I just, like, took so many photos of, like, look at this new growth. Look at this new growth. Look at this new uh, leaf. And we just, like, nerded out about grow lights for our plants and <laughs> the new leaves and stuff like that. So just that, like, having those moments where I'm like you know it's just connection like Mm -hmm. I didn't see a single person today but I still felt connected to someone and that is really really nice um Mm -hmm. and I'm very grateful for that oh so well said that's amazing (laughs) I have also gained some plants and I've lost some plants and I might I might reach out and be like Shauna what the fuck is a grow light help me please someone help me so I might message you and be like here's a picture of this I bought my partner bought me one and I called her Barbie and she passed. So now we have baby Barbie, who's a smaller version. It's every time I repot my plants, they die. Yeah. Repotting is hard. Repotting is very hard. I struggled with this last year, too. It takes practice. Okay, But I am always happy to help. Please message me. Thank you. I'm always down to talk about plants. I get so emotionally attached to these plants (laughs) that I feel like I am literally letting them down so hard. One of them is thriving. But a couple of the other ones. Anyway, so I might take you up, I take you up on that. I told you I would do it. You said sure. And I'm like, I might take you up on your offer. But I might yeah. reach out and just be like, hey, how do you how do you keep yours alive? Uh, what do you do with yours? Do it. For so. a while I was um like having my morning coffee with my plants and it felt very weirdly oh. intimate, but also very calming. Like I would yeah. just like have my coffee in my hand and I would like sit and just look at them and be like, you're all doing good today. Hi, was- babes. <laughs> yes. I was staying at my parents' house for like a couple weeks. God, when was this? Whatever. It feels like forever. It could be yesterday or forever ago. Who knows? Yeah. But I was staying for a while and there was a, there was a moment where I realized like I miss my plant. Like I I knew she was okay. I had a friend who lived in the building who was like popping by and would FaceTime me and be like, this is what she looks like. This is what the soil feels like. I said, okay, this is how much water to give her, whatever. But I missed her. I yeah. didn't know that was possible. Oh, 100. I, uh, if I am staying over at my, the person that I'm dating, if I'm staying over at their place for the weekend, yeah. it, like when I come back home, I'm like, Hi, are you all Hi, okay? babes. Yeah, you talk some. Hi, babe. Yeah. 100%. Oh, my Literally, God. Yeah. They're such – it's like another family member. I love yeah. them. Yeah. Absolutely. So when they die, I don't take it well. And I remember talking to Alia about this, and she was like, that's a part of it. And I was like, no, I don't want that to be the answer. It can't be a part of it. <laughs> anyway, so it's it's a it's a learning journey, but I might hit you up. Thank you so much for doing this. It, I, I so appreciate it. And it's so nice. Like, we went – through conservatory program around the same time we're not in different casts but around the same time so it's been so many years that I've known of you or known you at like a, a distance and like I said when we signed on it was you know it was really nice to see such like a familiar face even though we don't know each other at all so it was just really nice to get to connect finally and chat thank you so much for having me this was such a lovely conversation I feel oh. like 
I don't know what I said. I feel like we went on a real journey, but I agree with everything you've said, and this was really great. This is what happens when I've had a half a beer. A hundred, half of a half of a chubby. You know, yeah. just a little yeah. baby chubby. Yeah. <laughs>